Hey guys, before we get to episode 54, things are getting exciting again in our country, in our world, really. Things are starting to open up. And I am here to tell you that uh, it's time to live a little bit. And part of living is going out and enjoying yourself to a concert, to a sporting event. Thankfully, we can talk about that again. And thankfully for all of us, I got a promo code for you, podcast, and that's through my friends at Grand Slam Tickets. If you mention the word podcast, they'll give you 15% off the next event that you attend. You can easily go on their website at grandslamtix.com or call them at one slam tix Mention podcast, 15% off. Let's get to episode 54. There is a level of he may leave. That has happened before. I mean, there's only a handful. I can count on one hand in my nine years where young men decided to leave. And... They took off and they were gone. And it's not to my surprise that almost every one of those young men that decided to do that, they're not doing well. It's another documentary. It's a docu-series. It's... So damn good. This is a life lesson type documentary for, I don't want to say all ages because I don't know how sensitive you guys are in terms of your kids watching stuff that's got some profanity. That it does. Uh, so I'd be you know careful and aware of that. But really, this story is so good and it's local to a lot of us here in Southern California. It's uh, Elac College, East LA College, and it is a coach, John Mosley, who kind of was in a crossroads in his life. He had decisions to make. Uh, he's he's seen his friends get killed on his street down his block. Uh, he's been in gangs in the past, and so he had a decision to make: which way do I go in life? And thankfully for all of us, because he's doing some amazing work with a lot of people in his life and those who surround him, he chose the good life. The life that's uh, you're gonna be a good person you're gonna do the right things to others and yourself and he's now coaching elac he's had about 20 years of experience in coaching and this documentary is amazing because john mosley sees a lot of himself in these kids and these kids have come to a junior college where they should really be at division one schools but they've gone through injuries they don't have the grades uh, they've got attitude issues, and a lot of these kids just want to walk out on him, but only because he rides them so hard at practice and games, and he's all over them at all times. And it's rare that they get days off, and part of that is strategic, and you'll find out why. But all of that means it's so easy for him to relate to these guys because he sees himself in them, right? So if you haven't seen it yet, Last Chance You, it's called, on Netflix. It's the ELAC College. It's fantastic. Fantastic. So I suggest you binge watch that right away. Let's get to episode 54 with Coach John Mosley. Let's go. You've been making the uh, media circuit rounds here, man. Crazy, around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How about that social media that like grew in two months? Your kids have to be jealous of you, no? They're like jealous because they're the ones that told me to start it. It's like 50,000 without even trying on the on the Instagram. And it was like two months ago, like right before I did it right before, like a week before the show came out and it's like 50,000. And then Twitter, I've, I've always had Twitter. 
um, since about 2009, but I never used it. I just looked at it to spy on my players or recruits. And then I finally sent out a tweet two months ago as well. And so now it's just, it's just crazy, man. How did Netflix find you guys? This little town in Monterey Park, California, that, you know, you've got some star athletes there thanks to your recruiting skills. But how'd these guys find you? You know what? It was a cold call. I think there was a, a collaboration of things that they were looking for. I think a successful team in Los Angeles was number one. They did Northern California with the football, Southern California. Most of the, I think, people that worked on the show and Netflix and everything is here in Southern California. Everybody's less than 30 minutes away. Netflix, uh, all the production teams. And I think they they wanted to do something close, but then target California Community College team and then Los Angeles. And I think we just fit what they were looking for. And, and we, and, you know, originally didn't want to do it, man. I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, there's no way I'm doing that. But, <laughs> you know, just speaking with some people, I talk with coach friend of mine. I talk with my pastor and they kind of convinced me. He was like, back in the day, I was like, Hey, I'd, I'd love to do it. I'd do it all day long in my twenties. You know, I'd love the cameras and all that, but you become an adult. Right. And you're like, you know what? I don't need all that. I just need my family. I need my job. And, I had concerns, and I'm just like, there's no way, dude. I don't want to say anything wrong, get fired, and all that. And then ultimately, it was my pastor and, and uh, a friend of mine. We were actually, I was actually in a in a gym in, in Dallas, and me and a friend of mine, he's actually a junior college coach as well, the coach from San Bernardino Valley. You know, I was actually on the phone with him a little bit earlier. But he said, I whispered, I said, I think I, we got this thing. Have you ever heard of the show? Would you? What would you think? He said, man, you got to do it. He said, it's going to be a lot of haters, but you got to do it to show how, you know, we impact in these young men's lives and different things like that and put you on a decent platform. And then I immediately walked out of the gym and I'm thinking like, let me call my pastor, you know, because a lot of people, they had all these other ideas of why I should and shouldn't. And I call my pastor and then he says, I'm thinking he's going to say, no, we just need to stay humble. We don't need all that attention. We don't need, you know, I'm just serving the church. And then he says, no, that's absolutely what you need to do to kind of share who you are and share that. And I thought, I said, where if I do something to get myself fired? You know, and he says, nah, you won't do that because that's not who you are. And, I, and he said, plus you're predestined. He said, if the door closes there, another door will be open. You know, God will take care of you. And so I'm committed to it. Um, but initially it was a cold call, man. And so it's, you know, it's just interesting. Who knows if a season two will come up. They never tell us anything until they, they said, yeah, it'd be interesting. We, it's a possibility. But, like, Netflix is so secretive, man. So it's not even the last chance you team. It's Netflix. They they kind of – they don't even tell them if if, if they're going to fund it or do it or run another season. So, But, yeah, uh, it turned out well. So you're saying if it wasn't for your pastor, you would have declined the invitation? I would have because wow. in my, my, I really didn't have a, a good feel because initially I'm thinking, like, you know what, man, I'm here to serve. I'm a coach. I'm a coach. Like, I don't need that. You know, I'm not, I'm not into that no more. I had no social media. I had no interest in people seeing me, you know, and I would always share that. And here I am. I share my whole life. But <laughs> I would tell everybody, I, I would tease my players. I'd be like, why do you want to let people see when you go out to eat? Why are you taking pictures of you showing up at Magic Mountain, you know, Six Flags or something? Like, do this. I used to be like, man, that's stupid, dude. Like, who cares? Like, I think it's so, I, w- I would always say, I think it's so fake, and I, I would think it was so phony. It's it's a false sense of living. Everybody's life looks phenomenal on social media. It looks awesome. It looks great. And so I was always opposed to it and opposed to cameras and opposed to it. It's like, you know what, just live my life out 
and just impact lives and guys move on. I don't, I get satisfaction now by seeing guys move on and having success. And so I, I didn't need that in my twenties. Oh, I would have jumped all over it, man. You would have, I would have been like, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be on TV. They're going to follow me cameras. And initially I did some of that. I grew up in LA, man. I was music videos, uh, you know, when you hear about a music video going on here in LA, you would run to it. Hey, I heard so-and-so, you know, I think it was new edition. Was it? No, not new edition. Ralph Transant. I was in a video with him. I was in actually Aaliyah's, Aaliyah, uh, R. Kelly, they did her first video out here in Los Angeles. And so I ran to, I was in that, you know, I was in the movie Naked Gun 33 and the third. I was in Beverly Hills Cop three. And so just as an extra kind of in the background, extra. Yeah. Just an extra man. I was, so I was all into that. You know, I did some comedy, like all at a super beginner level while I was intertwined with playing basketball. And then eventually basketball kind of took over. But, you know, everybody from L.A., you you want to be an entertainer or a rapper or something, you know. And so you're, And you're probably there for eight hours and you got to check for like 50 bucks? Yeah, check for like 50 bucks, man. <laughs> and I'm sitting there for eight hours, me and my buddy, and then we, you know, we just sitting around looking at other people. We're looking at like 50-year-old adult uh, extras <laughs> as well. Like, man, do we really want our life yeah. to be like that, you know? They're making, the, you know, they're SAG extras. They get a they get $100. We get 50 bucks, they get $100, you know? Do I want my life to look like that? Yeah, thank God you so, grew out yeah. of that, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the, no way. So how much of that was staged? Was any of it staged? No, and a lot of people who, you know what's staged is how I have to, how I have to be at, you know, around, sometimes around campus, you know, with administrators and so, so, you know, they think I'm, you know, as an administrator, they think I'm a certain way, but really that was me. That was us. All of those responses. And I think what resonated with a lot of people, they thought it was, they said it, it came out well because it was more authenticity. And there was nothing staged. We didn't, everything was something that we would do normally. Some of the things that I've done, I mean, I'm super intense and I'm to keep these guys engaged is, is usually they probably got to see that I'm a little, little crazy, but crazy in a compassionate way. But that's essentially how I coach. I mean, you, you can come tomorrow and heck if our gym is open, but you can come tomorrow and come take a look in the gym and you'll see no cameras, no nothing. The doors are closed and it's the same, same deal. I mean, I was working with a group yesterday, like this dance group wanted me to collaborate with them and show them some basketball moves within dance. And I'm just breaking into sweat and I'm all intense. And they're like, dude, you really like this. And I'm like, I don't know any other way how to, how to kind of engage when I'm passionate about something, you know? So uh, that's just me. I had coaches that say, coach, you're going to burn out. You can't coach that way your whole career. And, you know, it's been, as a head coach, it's been nine years now. So as a head coach in, in almost 20 as in, as in, you know, all together, but as a head coach, nine years, and I've been that way for nine years. And, and yeah, so that's how I've been. All the stuff the guys were going through, the Joe Hampton was Joe Hampton. What they told me is, because I told them, I said, look, man, I'm really nervous about the content you guys are going to get. And they said, Mosley, it's just going to be a mirror of who you are. So I think what they did is they magnified who we were. So like they could have got me, a lot of calm moments where I was laid back and kind of chilled, but they gathered more of my intense moments. And I think that built that character, but that is me. But that was the majority of my character that you saw the same with Joe Hampton, Joe Hampton smiled. He had fun. He's a great kid, but I think they grabbed a lot more of that side of him, but that, that it was him, you know, that was the shot. 
so that they can, I think, build the character and it made the story, you know, engaging, you know, it was an engaging story. And and that was Joe's story. It was the Sean story. It was all of our stories. Um, it was my story. It was how I coach, you know, yeah, you, maybe the, the downside of me where I sit in the office and I'm almost dozing off, you know, that's probably not as compelling to the, to the cameras, you know. And talk about the cameras. How annoying do they get after a while? You know what? It was vice versa. At first, it was you, you trying to conscious, conscious. After a week, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, they were like out of the way. You know what? I, I tell our lives are a camera, man. We're a camera. I mean, we're on social media. All the guys, they got cham- They got their own channels now. They, like, everybody's got their own channel. I've seen during a pandemic, I got like five players that when I see them in the gym, and had I not been on social media, I would not even know that they do this stuff. But now that I got this social media, I'm looking at their stuff. They got a whole other world where they're like, they got their own channels and they're doing all this crap. And I'm like, they're on cameras 24-7 anyway, so it's expected and I think with basketball, we, we're an open book. We don't have helmets on. I think that's the, one of the things that, that was different from the other shows is we don't have helmets on. And so you can see our expressions. You can see our faces. And even with the NBA, and there's a different level of popularity because we're, we're more intimate. You know, We're one of the most intimate sports where you can see us up close. We're one of the sports where we're right there on the floor and you can see us up close. You can see our facial expressions. You can see all of that. And you're right there. We already kind of get celebrated. You know, we already get as, as, as basketball players. So I think we were used to it, man, within a week or so. It wasn't a big deal. You just strap up, put a mic on. I mean, you forget the mic is on sometimes. And so they were sensitive with the content, which was awesome. I mean, there's, I mean, heck, we're going to the restroom and we're saying stuff. We're talking about, you know, my boss when I shouldn't be and, you know, and none of that was in there. So I was, thank God for that. Um, but it was, it was normal. Yeah. I kind of want to go back to when you were in high school, you were at this crossroads in your life and you had these group of friends where if you kind of led with them, if you followed them, you would have gotten into trouble. And I think two of your buddies, they got shot on your block, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that a waking up moment for you? Yeah, well, there's one of them, but kind of because it was kind of normal. You know, I've had people get shot on the block and you're kind of looking like, huh, it's no big deal. But I think when I was fortunate enough to have to to have seen, and I was good playing, you know, my dad kept me in sports. And so to go and do the tryout, that kind of gave me the separation. It kind of made me see, okay, yeah, well, you know, I see on TV the popular quarterback. The cheerleaders follows them, and, and that was a nice little world I wanted to be a part of. And and I saw myself. The people that I grew up with were all on the block. We're we just you just grew up in games. That's just what you did. That's because what was around you. It was normal, and unfortunately, I had good parents, so it enabled me to to be a a better student, a good. You know, I could have went either way, and I don't think my my parents would have had anything to do with it either way or, or the other in terms of which way I would have. But because I chose this path and because my, my parents helped facilitate the good path, sometimes kids want to go in a good path and they don't even have an infrastructure to facilitate a good path. I at least chose that path. I could have chose the, the wrong path and my parents wouldn't have had no, you know, they would have been tough for them to bring me back. But because I chose a good path 
And there was a facilitation. There was an infrastructure there for me to go that route. Like, hey, I did have a ride to go to play basketball. My parent, my dad was able to go and then watch the game. You know, I had all those things to help the positive. There's some that, that may want to go and they don't have the support. And, and that's, that's kind of where I come in. That, and that's what I'm saying throughout the show. That's the passion I'm, I'm preaching. Like, there are some that, that do have it in their heart, but there's nobody to help facilitate it. You know, and then when they do try to facilitate it, they give up on the kid quick because the kid pouts because we stand back and we say, well, look, I'm trying to help you and and you're not responding the right way. So I'm trying to help you. Well, why don't you just know that it's probably because of abuse. It's probably because of abandonment that, that they don't know how to accept love and how to accept that facilitation process. So. I made the separation when I kind of saw the, the, the basketball and, you know, I, I, I grew up in the church and, and that kind of helped me distance myself. That, that had a level of conviction in me enough to when I did do some of those things that were productive, that I cling to them. And I, I, and I was able to, I had the support to cling to it. You know, there's some that have those things, they come in their lives, but they don't have the support to cling to those things, they don't have the support. You know, my daughter is playing softball right now. Man, do you know how much that costs? It's crazy how much it costs for my kids to play. Couple, now, and, I, and I, my wife, we talk about why some of these inner city kids, in particular, some of the African American girls aren't playing softball. They can't afford it. Like, you know, to go to a trainer every week and then club sports and all that. So a, a lot of it is not having the resources to do it. And then when they when someone donates the resource or some, someone puts up the resource, the problem is, 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 is sometimes it comes with the arrogance. Like, look what I'm doing for you. So look what I'm doing for you, right? But the kid doesn't know how to accept it and receive it. And, well, that's the kid's fault. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they have the opportunity. Most kids get a glimpse of, glimpse of an opportunity, but how to receive it, we got to help them receive it. You know, we got to help facilitate them and grab them and pull them through the window sometimes because they, they're dealing with issues of abandonment. They're dealing with abuse. They're dealing with being in an environment where everyone fails and, and where they're being abused at home. Yeah, they may have a single parent, parent, but the parent may be abusive because their parents were abusive. It may be abusive in the sense that, yeah, they may give them lunch money, but they may be, be abusive in the sense that you're not going to be nothing. You ain't going to be crap. Forget that basketball and you go out there and you get a job. And so the kid is like, I don't want to get a job and they rebel. And instead of getting a job, okay, I'll go sell drugs since you want me to make money instead of me going and play basketball and then maybe getting a college degree and, you know, those that route. So I think the fork in the road came when I, I saw opportunity and I said, well, let me try it. And then I had the infrastructure to support the opportunity that I, that I had. So I got to give credit to the support, which is my family, and, and then credit to the conviction that I had because of my faith. But if I didn't have those two things, I probably would have went the wrong direction. My faith, and then I had the support of family, and I had mentors. So, so it's just very important, very important. But I could have easily decided to go the other route. I just had that little bit of conviction from the Lord, and then I had the parents. And, you know, I walked through the door at home, and I had to look at my dad and mom who were working parents and who were good parents, and I would have had to look at them when they told me, hey, don't do drugs, don't smoke weed, you know, don't do pot. And if I came home high, I got to look at them. 
some kids, they come home high and there's nobody to, to give them that sense of conviction when they come home high. And so guess what? They'll go do it the next day. When did you become such a believer in God? When, when did it hit you? You know what? There, there was a level uh, of, I made a commitment. I was walking home from school and I remember I had Jordan, it might've been twos or threes mm. and a car pulled up and they, and I mean, at this time I'm towards the end of high school and they asked me, what size shoe do you wear? And I'm like, okay. And so for a hood terminology, that means we about to take your shoes, right? <laughs> That's what that means. What size shoe you wear? So they pull up in a cutlass, you know? And I'm like, uh, and then before I can answer the question, they ask me, where are you from? Which means what gang you from? And I, I had joined a gang a while back, but I kind of got out of it. And then fortunately, uh, I was down down the street from home, and one of the neighbors came out and said, "John, are you okay?" And back then they called me John John, you know, John John, you okay? And, and they eventually just took off, and then I was crying, and I was just tired, you know, and I cried and asked the Lord to, you know, change this what I'm dealing with, and and I felt like, you know, because I'd always grew up in church, but I asked the Lord, and, and I think that at that moment there was a, a a feeling that came over that there was a change of commitment. Um, I had been baptized before, but that was like your parents telling you, go get baptized, you know. But that, that change had came, and then I went to college, the master's, and it's crazy how God designed it, man. It was like I was getting recruited by a few Division ones. I, I, academically, I screwed up, so I ended up going to East L.A. College and played there for two years. But out of there, I had a couple of Division ones that recruited me. Well... Out of the Division ones, I had a summer class to finish, didn't finish, didn't do what I was supposed to do. I ended up at an NAI school, the Master's College, which was a Christian college. So that really changed because I started to see what it was like to live amongst other believers and how they lived out their faith. You know, nor, you know I'm in L.A., I'm a believer, but there's not, there's not constant fellowship with people who, who are believers or, you know, who, who are Christians. So I'm trying to live it out, and I don't have any examples other than going to church. And, you know, I thought church was corny, right? It's just like, man, I'm just going because I'm supposed to my parents. But then I really started to see people live out their faith when I'm at the Christian college. And they're doing it sincerely, like, wait a minute, you're really not having sex. Like, wow. You know, like, you're really, you're really studying the Bible. Like, I had this level of conviction. So that's when I started to change. I started to practice those things. And then what really kicked it over, what really the level of conviction that changed everything is when I traveled and I did a Brazil trip. And so two things happened. Number one, I go over there and I see people that look like me. I see brown and black kids and all different colors and they have no shoes. They have all that. And I'm over here in another, I'm thousands of miles away. And I'm like, dude, if I just walk outside my house in L.A., it's the same kid. What the heck am I doing over here? That's number one, helping these kids. And I got, you know, and it was great that I did that. But I'm like, I can do this same thing. I can do clinics. I can impact the lives of people. Why do I have to go millions of miles away to impact lives and help people when I can do it right here? Walk outside my house and help somebody next that lives my, literally, literally my next door neighbor. And the kids in the community, I can do that. And so that did happen. I came back and started to help with the kids in the community. And then number two, uh, I was sharing, I, I was speaking at an event, and I was sharing, you know what, my sole purpose really for going is because a buddy of mine was over there in Brazil, and 
he was playing pro ball. I was like, man, my sole purpose really was to go play pro ball. You know, I was, I was just using going over there as a mission trip, just to, just as a cover, you know? So it's so the intentions were so awful. Right. (laughs) But God had different plans. And so I got over there and after the missions trip, you know, we play these exhibition games, right. Against the pro teams. And then we minister at halftime. So by me playing against these exhibition pro teams, these exhibition games against the pro teams, they get to see me. And so that's kind of a tryout. Like, yeah, you see me, you know, I I gave you guys 20 points, you know, pick me up. So I'm over there. The rest of the missions team leave, the basketball players. We went with the men's and women's soccer, men's and women's basketball team from the college. We went over there. They all left. So I'm over there by myself. I don't speak the language. It's Portuguese. There was only one other person, my buddy, who was there. But I'm on this camp, and I'm staying there, and I don't have anything to do but read my Bible. So I got my Bible. I do my little cute little devotion, you know, hey, let me pray to God in the morning. Let me read a little bit, and then let me say thank you, Lord, and then go out during the day. Well, there was nothing to do. So I'm sitting there reading, and then all of a sudden my half an hour session goes to an hour. My hour set, Then the next day my hour session goes to two hours. So a two-hour session in the morning, because there's nothing else to do but to read the Bible. I can't read. I don't understand television. And all I do is read, wake up, go eat breakfast, go work out, go play ball, eat lunch, and come back. And then at night, I started to do the same thing. And so there was this enlightenment, this major enlightenment, because not only is it, I think God came into my heart and he pressed on my heart a level of conviction, which is the Holy Spirit, but then there was a true level of knowing him because I read what his word said. You know, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So we're reading the word. I'm reading about this person that is dwelling in my heart. You know what I'm saying? So first there's this conviction in my heart, but then I'm reading about, and I really became in awe and I became humbled. And that's when I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so humble. I'm so awful as a person. I'm like, John, you are awful. Realizing how powerful God is and who he is and why, what our purpose here on earth is for. When you truly read and you understand what the word of God in the Bible. And for me, that that's for me. I mean, of course, there's several people that don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe. And that's fine. You know, that, that I'm just telling you what I believe and what's changed my life understanding who he is and, and what it means. And, and so because of that, the Bible and the word of God, and when I really study, man, I'm doing six hours a day in the Bible and understanding like, whoa, I was like embarrassed about who I was as a person. Here we are. We, you know, we don't only last in this world, what, 50 to a hundred years, and, you know, and God is eternal. We got this arrogance about ourselves we got our little jobs and make our monies and it's all about us. Right. And we only live for a short period of time compared to to eternity. And our sole purpose should be to please him. And I've realized that through his word. And I've started to really read the stories and what they meant and the history of God from the beginning to what is shared in the Bible. And, 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 and it all makes sense. And it all came together. We take pieces of it. And I think that's what sometimes the world does. They take pieces and they say, well, the Bible isn't right because of this. If you truly read it and you study it and you understand the true translation, the Greek and Hebrew, and you get into all that, then you realize the true translation had a, had a, is clean. It had a good word, but most of us who oppose the word of God, it's just because they get snippets from someone else. And they take someone else's 
whatever somebody but if you truly go into it yourself and you study it then you'll you know you'll have your own you know your your own thoughts and that that's what happened and so i came back and i remember my best friend picked me up from the airport and he said dude you got like a glow bro oh, like wow. you crazy and i was like wow and i was like yeah i literally was in a posture of humility for for a while until like i started to get tainted not tainted but with like sin, but just started to come out of that a little bit by being back out of isolation. So there was a period of consecration where I was like a month where I'm just reading the word of God. And then I was like, wow. So here I am from the hood, from South Central, join the gang. God takes me over to Brazil, locks me in a dorm by myself because everybody else left because, and I'm locked into a dorm daily reading the Bible. And that's what it took to really open my eyes. And so now this is level now. And I was sharing everybody. Well, how can you live out this face? How, if you really knew who he was and I, I truly got a chance to get an understanding that I'm not afraid, but I have so much respect and reverence. There's a level of fear. There's a fear of reverence that I have for him. So I have to live out my life and I don't want to want God to look back. I have to live out my life a certain way because I know who he is. I know how powerful he is. And he is so willing, he is not willing that anybody should perish. So we think that God is not checking us out and seeing how we're living and what we're doing. He's just sitting back and he's He's giving us an opportunity to come to him because eventually there's going to be some final days here. You know what I'm saying? And he's just giving us a chance to come to know him. And so that's kind of where where I'm at with that. But that's what happened after the change so I came back from that trip being isolated and it sounds kind of weird. Like I'm, I go some on some crazy sabbatical or something, but it was crazy. God forced it. And the intentions were to go over there and play pro ball. I could care less about, you know, ministering and all that. That's crazy. And, man. But that's what God did. Especially yeah. as a kid. I mean, that's all you want to do is play yeah. ball. And then you get stuck in this dorm reading the Bible for six hours a day, man. Right. That that Amen. is yeah. that's awesome, man. You said you played. And he allowed me to play. Yeah, he allowed me to play. Yeah. I went to played a little bit, and then went to Australia and played. But then I realized that wasn't my desire anymore because he just he took away that desire, which which was and it, not desire to compete and be a player, but it wasn't as important to press that because I could have went back. I could have forced it and went back to Australia. But then my college coach, he asked me, he said, okay, you're back home from Australia. You got one class to finish. You want to just coach and I'll pay for it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's kind of where the career started. I kind of saw that that was a passion of mine. So this was after you graduated from ELAC? Yeah. So after ELAC, I go to the master's college for two more years, the four year. And then I went to Brazil after the master's college. Well, now it's the master's university, but the master's college and the master's college is the Christian college that I went to right after Eli. Got it. Yeah. And, and that's when your coaching career started after coaching career started. So I go on the Brazil trip after the master's college. And then I spent some time in Australia and then I came back and my college coach at the master's college say, Hey, you got one class to finish your bachelor's degree. You need to finish it. I'll pay for it, but I need you to come sit on the bench with me and help. And then I coached there for eight years at the master's college after playing there, you know, and then I coached after eight years, I coached six years at Cal state Bakersfield. And then after the Cal state Bakersfield stint is when I came here to East LA college and started coaching. 
So it's been almost over 20 years, yeah. You know, we're all going through something, especially the players that you get. I mean, I feel like those guys are going through something. How long does it take for them to open up to you? And I know we're all different. Do they open up to you right away, or does it take some time where you can kind of get in there and really help them? Yeah, it takes it takes some time, but there's a race to trust each other because they have to kind of hurry up and trust me because they want to fit in and play because I have this carrot. They want to hurry up and know so that they can play, they can perform, get a scholarship and move on. So they got something that they want. So they got a, there's a race to trust me. And then there's a race for me to, to trust them and get to know them as well. It's hard to do, but you have to do it. And, and the best way to get to build the trust is just knowing and building that relationship. I have to know them. I have to get to know them. Otherwise, I won't be able to coach them. So it, it happens a, a little more organically than it would in you know some other learning paths or some other because there's this basketball and we can kind of see each other's character through 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 how we perform and we talk about that in the in the show we say basketball uh reveals character i can kind of see who you are and learn about you and then when i learn and see how you respond on the court i got to find out why you respond in a certain way and so Spending some intimate time with each player, it, it, it takes a while, and it can almost take almost through the whole time that you finally build that trust at the end, and then it culminates into you winning a championship or, or you know, finishing the season strong and winning basketball games, and then there's a level of trust. There's no other bond than the bond that you have for playing some level of athletics. And then when you go to college athletics where the stakes are higher, that bond is even stronger when you guys get through something. So, so yeah, it, it takes a bit, but you have to be very intentional. That's if you want to have that level or that type of success where you can really coach them. I mean, there are some coaches you can coach without really digging in, and you can require expectations. There's some coaches that could require expectations to be met because the coaches have the carrot. They have playing time that you want, and they have the connections to college coaches where you want the scholarship. So you really have to do what they say anyway. But if you really want to really impact and help them, I think truly getting to know them is where, where it's at. Because bottom line is, as, as coaches, yeah, they, they got to listen to you. The players got to listen. It's kind of like a teacher. The kid needs the grade in the class. And if the teacher can be as stoic and as harsh as they want, they don't have to be someone who could communicate. They could be an introvert. And guess what? The student still has to do, do what the teacher has to get to earn that A. Mm -hmm. But if the teacher really wants to have that impact, they can develop the relationship, you know. And the teacher can still hold everybody to getting the A grade. And a kid may get an A grade without having a relationship with the instructor, with the teacher. But if you want to kind of be holistic about it, then I think developing a relationship is important and really knowing what's going on. So you can really help them when they struggle and they don't respond the right way. And the cool part about this too, John, is that you can relate to these guys. Like you've lived their life. You know, you already drove down that road. You know what it takes to get out of it, you know? So that's the cool part. There's a connection. Yeah, I see me and all these guys, man. Everything that the guys have gone through, for the most part, some of them a little bit harsher or less. I've seen it, and if I haven't seen it, I've been directly connected with it through a close relation to to it. So, yeah, I see myself in all of them. Their response that they have, I was like, okay, I remember I was pouting because of that one. So all I got to do is just say, look, they really care. They really want better for themselves, but they don't know how to respond. And some of them haven't been taught. Some of them come from, so we come from a single parent home, and I, I offend the guys all the time when I say, 
you know, sometimes we've we've learned, and our moms have done a, done a great job as single parents. But at some point, I got to teach you how to be a man. And she's raised you how to be a great person. And but there's some things that young men go through. Then let me show you how to emotionally handle this as a male, as a man. And so those are some things that I can offer if a young man comes from, you know, a situation where it's single single parents and you have to have some some men pour into your life, you know, whether it's one or two or three, or by you even watching a good example of a male, you know, coming from a single parent home or something. So those are all different things that I try to offer and I'll take a look at. And I realize and I've come from what they're coming from or where they're coming from and I have to help them, you know, and I see all these different emotions and scenarios and I'm like, okay, I know why he's acting that way. Okay. I know why this and that. Let me dig in and get him to respond the right way. You work these guys pretty hard, man. I was watching this show on my couch and I was exhausted. You, yeah. you practice every day except Christmas. Mm-hmm. And even after games, you would have these guys do some drills. How much was that to keep them disciplined and to, and to keep them out of trouble? So it was a combination of all of that discipline and kind of keep them on a level of routine. A lot of it was strategic. When we say no days off, but Christmas, Christmas is the only guaranteed days off. Of course, we we took days off in between, but Christmas is the only guaranteed days off, day off. So it depends on how the workouts are done. You know, we may give a Friday off, but we work in on Saturdays and Sundays. So usually we're going about six days a week and we'll give one day off. But we'll go through through Thanksgiving, and if we got a game two days after Thanksgiving, I'm not giving them Thanksgiving off. We got to prepare. So that's what I mean by no day. There's no guarantee days off other than Christmas. That's the only day that I'm like, okay, that's the one day you know you have off. Even Christmas Eve, we we may give them Christmas Eve and Christmas off, but I'm not guaranteeing it depending on how the schedule falls. So that's what we mean by that. And then even working afterwards, getting those guys to understand that there's a level of commitment. There's a science behind it. To keep our strength up, we play a game on Wednesday, and then we play a game on Friday. Well, guess what? I can't lift on Thursday because we I can't lift the day before a game. So what's the best logical time to lift? We'll be right after the game. Guess what? We worked the game. We played in the game, and most guys play, what, 20, 30 minutes at max? Some guys don't even play. So why not go in right after the game and get a quick 15, 20-minute workout to help us stay stronger and in shape? And then guess what? You don't work any harder during a game and that little workout we do after the game more than we do in practice. Practice, we go two and a half hours hard, harder than that. So that's not a hard thing to do. Most of the time, the game is not as hard as practice. So we play the game, and then we come work out afterwards. It's less than a practice, really. But guess what? We got a chance to get keep our condition and our strength up. And then we got Thursday, the day before a game, to kind of recover and prepare for the next game versus trying to get you know conditioning and workouts the day before a game and wear ourselves out. So that's kind of the, the science behind it and the logic and getting guys to understand that. And the NBA guys do that all the time. They'll work out right after the game. Because they play so many games, they'll fall out of shape. And you, you fall out of shape out of playing games because you only play games 20 or 30 minutes, right? And then it's over. In practice, you're going two hours. So your conditioning, your strength, and all that up, you get it up and you recover. And you, that's where you gain is, is through the workouts. 
But if you play 20 minutes a day, you're not going to be in as in good shape. Yeah, you may you may play better, but you're not going to be in, in as good a shape. So that's kind of the logic behind that. And so even getting guys to understand that, like uh, the professionalism, and I think it was in – everybody asked me what ticked you off. That's what ticked me off when I was in the weight room after the game because the guys are pouting and complaining. And I said, wait, wait, hold up. You mean to tell me I'm – we're making this commitment. The coaching staff is making a commitment. And some people complain to me about, well, coach, that's your job. Yeah, you're right. I was still supposed to be there, but the extra things that we're doing, the extra commitment to understand from a program level, we're doing things at a program level that no other program is doing. We're understanding this. Instead of the coaches saying, okay, game over, let's go, let's get out of here, I'm ready to go home and drink beer. I'm staying after the game because I'm committed to doing things at a professional level and I'm committed to running a, a program that's the same level as the NBA or college. And you guys are complaining and you're mad at me for committing to all of these things. You're pissed at me for committing to all of these things that's going to help you. And so that's how that conversation started. And so we talk about the grind and it's just like, you're getting mad because I'm committing to helping you get better. And the, and community college in California has a bad rap. Most of them, they, you know, they don't do well. They suck. Nobody cares. It's kind of like how they treat in our public schools. Now public schools are just kind of watered down. All the kids, they go to private schools and, you know, all the athletes at the private schools now are doing doing well, and our public schools are just falling apart. And that's how the community colleges are. But here we are committing to saying, no, we're going to be one of the best, and not only the best in California, but in the country. And you're mad at me for asking you to come do extra. It's going to be over in a couple months. Like in two months, it's going to be over, and you're going to want a college scholarship, but you're mad because you got to spend 15 more minutes after the game to do something that no other school is doing in Southern California to get you better. And so that was the, how that conversation happened. And that's what kind of, you know, started that conversation. That was actually one of my favorite scenes because I think you even mentioned my daughter had a softball game today that I missed because of you guys, because yeah. my commitment is to get you guys to a D one school. You're not getting paid overtime for this. You know, I, you, right. you, you, so it's like, I'm not getting more money for this. I'm not, I'm doing it out of love. I'm doing it for you guys. I want to see you guys grow and prosper. And dude, that was an amazing, amazing scene. Uh, some of these guys had to step away from you from uh, out of frustration of playing time, the referees, they go in the locker room, they'd voice their frustration, throw some furniture around. When you're coaching and practicing and you see them walk out on you, do you think you lose them for good? Hey, it's Mike. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode with myself and John Mosley. If you have the time, a minute or two, if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would mean a lot. It helps us in ranking and it makes me feel good. So that's on Apple Podcasts in the review section. Five stars and then just write a quick little cute review about my show. That'd be amazing. Let's get back to my conversation with John Mosley. Uh, no, I mean, these kids, do. they really want, you know, regardless of responses, reactions and all that, they really want. They just don't know how to respond. They really want to be successful. They really want what's, what's best. And the thing about it is not giving up on them because I know what's in their heart. I know when we talk about revealed, 
when I see what's in their heart, the potential, the diamond that's inside of them, there's this major diamond that's deep down inside of them. I can see flashes of it. They can't even see it, but I can see the flashes. And a lot of people give up because they, they're, they feel they've been disrespected by the response of what's on the outside of the diamond. And I'm like, you know what? I'm willing to deal with that. And let me tell you guys something. Let me share with you how you need to respond because Coach Mosley is dealing with it because I understand. But the next place is not going to understand. And it's a business. It's cutthroat. It's someone that doesn't look like you, and they're not going to tolerate it. They're going to stereotype you. They're going to put you in this box. When you respond that way, they're going to say, this is you. Me, when you respond that way, I say, that's really not him or that's really not her. That's just, he's just acting that way because he was abused because I I took time to research what was going on in their lives. But, but I, I truly believe that there's no way that I can really turn my back on them. And when they appear to, to walk out, the only way that you can fail in our program, you know, if God says the same is if you walk out and you don't come back, there's always the doors open. And if you walk out, and you come back, of course, there's consequences. You know that. But I'm never going to turn my back on you and tell you to get out and and not not allow you to come and deem yourself or for any level of redemption. No, there's there's a the door is always open, man. It's always open for me to help. But you're going to have to do exactly what I ask you to do so that we can get you through and change the responses. It usually has nothing to do with the talent. That's a little piece of it. It's changing your response to just your life habits you know, and how you approach life, how you approach the game of basketball and all that. Of course, you got to get better, got to work on your shot and dribbling. But the the biggest part that we have to work on with all of them is changing those responses and habits so that they can be successful at the next, so they won't fail at the next place. And they can be ready for all the challenges. I mean, when they walk out on you, do you ever think they, they don't return, that they're done for good? I, I think there was one scene when Coach Ken walked in and he forgot, I think it was Joe. He was putting on his mm-hmm. street clothes and he's like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm done. And, yeah. and Ken talked him into it, put his jersey back on, he walked back on the court. But yeah. at that point, like if, if Coach Ken doesn't walk into the locker room and talk him into uh, what he talked him into, you think he goes home and, and if he does, what happens? You know what, he was, he was praying that Coach Ken came in here. He was mm-hmm. praying that somebody chased him. Mm-hmm. And for me... That was a part, a time where I have to, you know, step back and not lose the respect of the team. I'm not going to chase Joe Hampton. That That is a time where you as having a good coaching staff and a good working group, we share the same vision that we've seen. Yeah, you know, Joe really doesn't want to leave, but he's going to hang himself. And so we have to go grab him. And Ken felt that at that moment, like the kid really don't want to leave. And he's complaining about something that doesn't even mean anything. It's not even a big deal. He's about to quit for something that's not even a big deal because he's trying to gain attention, right? So Coach Ken felt it was, yeah, you know what, He's this kid's about to hang himself. And I think that's what we have to discern. At that moment, it wasn't my place to say, let me stop everything and go tend to Joe because then he gains a level of control. And these are some things that you have to know as a coach or even as a, a leader. Like, I can't allow him to – gain some level of leverage over our team because I go chase him down and say, Joe, please don't leave, you know, but yeah, there is a level of, he may leave that has happened before. I mean, there's only a handful. I can count on one hand in my nine years where young men decided to leave and 
they took off and they were gone. And it's not to my surprise that almost every one of those young men that decided to do that, they're not doing well. If you don't quit, if you can go through everything that we're taking you through and you don't quit, emotional and physical and intellectual challenges that we have here, the most in most cases, man, the guys move on and they, they're able to survive at the because we make it hard, but we make it loving hard. It's like super tough love hard so that they can survive at the next level, loving them enough so that so that they know that we're doing the right thing. But helping him with the tough love and Joe Joe didn't want to go anywhere, man. He because I, I knew he loved the game. I knew he loved he wanted to play and move on. And he knew that we were doing the right thing. He didn't want to go anywhere. He just wanted some little attention. And every now and then you got to give him some attention, you know. <laughs> Coach Chan felt it was his place to do it at the moment. So uh, it's amazing how it works out. I think it's a feel, man. When you do go, give him attention. When you don't, sometimes I just ignore the heck out of him. Like, man, I'm not listening to you today. Because if I and if I do, then the players see like coach really doesn't care about his tantrums. So coach is focused on us. You know, sometimes it's times to just focus on everybody else other than that problem. Sometimes it's time times to go focus on the problem, and everybody sees compassion. It's just a feel. But am I worried? I'm not because when when they see if they stick around long enough, they see that it's one of the best things that's happening for them. And I'm not the only place like that. There's a lot of places like that that have open doors. But I have the the door open, and they see that we're doing the right thing for them. And so there's not many guys that's willing to give that up. You know, even they don't they don't like the method. They they see that it, it's the right thing and it's the right place. The right things are happening. Well, that's the thing, John. It's they're 21 years old, man. I remember when I was 21. Yeah. You remember when you were 21? We thought we knew everything. You know, we thought we were yeah. Superman. We we thought everything was coming our way. And so what you're doing, in my opinion, is that you're not just coaching them hard for the basketball court. You're coaching them hard for the everyday life. So when they step out, right. outside the court and outside the gym, they're prepped for that. And so that's yeah. that's what people don't understand about this this sports is that they yeah. think it's just fun and games. It's not, man. Right. The, the, the percentage of everybody playing it as a profession and making money and supporting their families is very, very small and slim. And when you get guys like yourself who are teaching these kids what everyday life is like, because every day isn't going to be perfect. This is life. This is the stuff yeah. we go through, and you got to be prepped for it. And that's the cool part. I coached a little bit after high school, and I thought I knew everything. I was a kid, man. I was 19 years old, and yeah. I didn't know anything. But my number one battle was getting these guys motivated to play yeah. every day, to practice every day. That was a constant battle, and it was exhausting. And I know that. I know yeah. that feeling. You know, my, my second favorite technique from you was the attention thing, right? And and how you get these guys' attention at all times. And being around them all the time, it's got to be annoying for everybody, the whole party. You know, you guys got to get along. I mean, that's hard to do for, for everybody because everybody's got a different personality and sense of humor. My favorite, though, was the, the, si- <laughs> the silent treatment for eight minutes and 30 seconds. That was the best. That was the yeah. best. Did you look back and just crack up? Yeah, I did because... Yeah, it was like weird, but it was just at the moment. So what happened is when I say get everybody on the line, that means, okay, we're going to run because we did something wrong, right? But at that moment, there was some planning where in my mind I'm thinking like, 
okay, I don't want to run them now because I think I didn't want to wear them out or something. It was a reason why I didn't want to run them. So I'm like walking like, dang, I didn't really want to run them. <laughs> so I'm like walking, thinking, and I'm like praying, like, Lord, let, let me just pray that we just can get some good vibes in here, you know? And then so I'm walking, and I'm just sitting here thinking, and then eventually the walk-in came to, I can hear those guys whispering, like, man, he's just trying to run us anyway. That's all he want to do is run it. So then I'm thinking, like, all right, I'm going to fool him. I'm not going to run him. You know, and then at the same time, hearing all these whispers and just, and then everybody's looking, then eventually it turns into, you can start to see their posture changes to reflection. You know, they start to reflect. And then I'm like, okay, we'll just roll with that. We'll let them reflect. And then you get to a point where they're, they're kind of like, you know what? We're just standing here and we're pouting and complaining. We're basketball players. We should just play or, you know, we should just do the right thing. You know, and so I think it, it, it ended up working out because it was like it ended up just being a level of reflection for everybody. Yeah. And I didn't know what the heck. It was just I think I've only done that. Like, do you do that? There's a great technique. When do you do that? And I'm like, man, I just stopped and just was, <laughs> instead of running them, I just walked around like, man, do y'all. It was almost like, man, do you guys see how bad this look? You see how bad we're doing or whatever? You know, it was, just, it was kind of a reflection. And then they started whispering like, well, yeah, we need to, we need to do better, you know? Right, right. And then you got some eye contact on some <laughs> at the death stare. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that was yeah, the best, yeah. man. That was so good. Yeah. We, we all know, I mean, it's well known, junior college coaches. I mean, it's it's tough, man. The programs, they're not well-funded and, and it's not necessarily taking care of yourself and your family. It's hard. You're married. You've got a beautiful family. How do you make it all happen? Yeah, yeah. You know what, man? I, I think... You know what? Just keeping it in perspective. So, my wife, we met. We understood. She, we met when I was a coach. So she understood the time, the commitment that it takes to mentor and coach and all that. But you know what? When it's time for family, it's time for family. When it's time for work, it's time for work. And I think trying to intertwine it. Um, there's not much of a of a social life, and people still try to have a social life. I remember I was coaching Division One and and out recruiting so much. And there's a lot of people that lose their families when they go out and recruit and travel. And they ask me, how do you keep it together? I said, well, here's the thing. When I'm on the road and the game is over or recruiting time is over, I go to my room and my wife calls and we talk. The problem is, is sometimes if we're on the road or if we're spending so much time with our jobs, the problem is we're still trying to have that social life, and I think you lose that. If you want to be that committed to this craft, what I'm doing, and then still be committed to the family, then guess what? There's less time for that social life, you know, that, that guy moment that you think you got to have, right? We got to have our guy moment. I got to go out and drink. I got to go do this and do that. And so I've just eliminated that, and so now that, that kind of evens it, it helps even it out. You know, I'm coming home and sitting on with the family. I'm not going and hanging afterwards. I'm not spending time with other people other than family and whatever the craft is. And I think, I think, you know, I can say, Hey, call my wife. Hey, I'm going to be home late because I'm taking this player home and I got to go talk with their parents because this and this, she understands that. But then the next day I say, well, I'm going to be late because I'm going to, to the club and drink with the buddies. And it's like, you know what? Okay. That's, I understand two days out of the week you got to go mentor or do that, but then can you give me the other two days? Don't feel like you deserve 
the other two days to drink and now you're only left with one day with family. You know, that's just my philosophy. That's how I think to stay balanced. And I just rather give that any extra time that I have to the family, you know, if it's not for that, that portion of my life. So, I mean, literally, I don't really do much, you know. You got people that say, well, I got to go out for a day and golf with the fellas. I don't golf. I don't do any of that. It's either with these guys or it's with family, you know. And so now I can spend time with my son, my daughters, help them with their sports and all that. That's where my extra time goes. That's where my hobby time goes. So I don't have a hobby time. I don't have a man cave. I don't have any of that. My my man cave is my family. And 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 I think that's where the separation is. You just say, man, you pour so much into those guys and you're coaching and winning. You practice six days a week. Well, yeah, I go home afterwards, you know, right after. Or if I have any moments, it's home, it's family, it's church. That's kind of how I think I, I kind of balance it. That's, that's kind of philosophy I took. I, so I don't have those man cave. I don't have, you know, I'm not at the Super Bowl party. I'm not at, you know, I don't have that. You know, my wife doesn't want me gone all week and then say, hey, honey, this is how we're going to spend time at a Super Bowl party. It's like, no, she don't want that. You know, she wants Valentine's Day. That and I think your family and church energizes you to get back at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's the energy. And I'm pouring into my kids. I'm pouring into my marriage. I'm pouring into, why wouldn't I do that? You know, why I don't want to pour into, you know, I'm done, man. In my 20s, I had my buddies. You know, I don't want to pour into that. Like, I'm, I'm you could text me, man, you yeah. know. Yeah, that's awesome. Talking about Division One, some have said that you can be a head coach of Division One. You think that's a big picture goal for you? If I can do, I, I tell never mission, you know, never lose the mission over money. If I can't do what I'm doing, I, I found this feels right, you know. And if I can't do what I'm doing now, then I probably it's probably not something I want to do. Could I do it? Possibly. I think because I was at the level, so I, I understand it a little bit. You know, there's some guys that do it great, but if I, if I can't, you know, and they're, they're guys that do it, but what happens when you get to that level is you're on contract and if you don't win, you get fired. And so I could picture myself being consumed with making sure I win and losing focus on mentoring and losing focus on things because I'm so consumed with winning because now I got to take care of my family. Taking care of my family will be based on wins and losses, you know? And and I don't I don't know if I want that level of of pressure. Anything you do is going to be a level of pressure. But I don't know if I want to deal with uh, wins and losses. Is going it's going to be the basis of my salary. You know, I, I like that I have the opportunity. I'm I'm teaching and all that. So I like that. Um, if the right opportunity opens up where we get a you know there's a right amount of support funding. There's it's not too much uh, hardship on the family to do a move and do all that. There's a level of of support guaranteed, you know. I don't expect them to say, hey, let me lose and keep my job. No, but I need a level of support where I don't have to be fighting for things to, to try to win games, and then that way I can still be who I am, you know. Hmm. Were there any moments in the documentary that uh, you, you thought would get in and, and you hoped it got in, but it didn't get in? Yeah, you know what, man, I shared on several occasions. There was two, and the reason why I share them is because those two guys were featured, but Deshaun, man, we were in San Diego. We had won a tournament. It's right after Christmas. So right after Christmas, we won this tournament and it had two top 20 teams ranked in it. And so by winning that, that helps our RPI and everything goes up. We're in the locker room celebrating, having fun right after Christmas, which means we're still kind of dragging out of holiday mode, right? So all the families are down. Everybody had their family for whatever reason. Some of them stayed overnight. That's our one overnight trip, you know, other than that, 
the camp trip that we did later in the year. It's our one overnight. So we can't afford much. So that's our one trip where we feel good and we try to spend all our money there. Like, okay, we stayed in like the, the, the Holiday Inn Express, right? And we get to go to Denny's three times on the trip. You know, you can get what you order, what you want from Denny's like twice, you know? <laughs> So we have that trip, and then we, we do that. We win, and we're all packed up, ready to go. We get in the vans after the game. We won that final game, and Sean's celebrating in the locker room. But then we're all in the vans. The vans are running, man. And I'm like, where's Deshaun? He's outside. Me and Coach Rob have the vans parked one behind the other, ready, running, ready to go. He's back behind both vans, and he's just crying. And I'm just like, oh, gosh. Okay, what happened now? Deshaun got a phone call. Somebody told him some some more devastating news. And Deshaun didn't cry. You know, I still tell him he's a jerk. So he's just a jerk with everybody. You see somebody crying, he's going to laugh at you, you know. But he doesn't cry. So I'm like, okay, something's devastating now. So I'll walk back there, and I'm thinking, like, oh, gosh. You know, and his girlfriend didn't even show up. But he at that game, she she was out of town or something. And I'm like, Deshaun, what's going on? What's wrong, man? He finally just hunches over and falls on me. And mind you, he was sick, too. We were all sick. So that was December 2019. So I think we all had COVID then anyway. But uh, we were all sick, flat on our backs and couldn't, and we're coughing. So he falls over on me. He says, Coach, I just want to talk to her. And I'm just like, wow. You know, he says he just wants to talk to her. And I was just devastated, man, because he's talking about his mom. He said, I just got questions for her. And, you know, we sat there and cried for about 10 minutes and together. And then I told him, I'm, I'm here to talk to. And I'm, I told him, I said, yeah, man, you mind forever. You know, I said, you mind forever. And then we talked and we cried a little bit and then we wiped the tears off. And then he got back in the van. He started acting like a jerk again, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one of the moments. And then another moment where I think in, there was a scene where these, there were security guards standing behind a bench. Joe had just gotten into an altercation on the court. We pulled him away. It's almost towards the end of the year. Like, hey, we don't need Joe to get kicked out or anything. But the, some other opponents, they were kind of antagonizing, and just just hitting for no reason, like trying to get him riled up. And we're like, dude, like, no, Joe, come on, let's go. We pulled him away. And we're like, no, 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 They have all to lose and nothing to gain. We got to make sure that we do the right thing. We pull him over to the bench, and he, he uh, sits down, and I say, dude, you want to go – put your clothes on. You know, I didn't want him to play no more because I didn't want him to get into an altercation where he gets kicked out or something like that, get suspended. But we all corral around him in that, that moment. And they didn't show it. I thought they were going to show it. We were like, man, you are Joe Hampton, man. You four-star Joe Hampton. And everybody on the team corralled him. It was like, yeah, you Joe Hampton. You don't let nobody do that to you. And then it kind of made him feel good. He was smiling like, yeah, I'm Joe Hampton. You know? <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a moment cool. where, you know, you would think, and they built the story up where everybody would would appear to to be against Joe, but we were all really for him. We loved him, and if Joe wasn't a good, good teammate, man, everybody loved him. Then then he wouldn't have been on the team. So that was that was a moment as well. The scene on the bus was heartbreaking. I can't imagine what you guys went through there. I'm sure it was a lot harder than it was on film, especially for the seniors. How confident were you guys going into that championship game before it got canceled? You know what? That was the best team that I've ever had. And, you know, everybody will say that. Oh, yeah, sure. It was the best, the best, you know, the best that I've I've ever had. In terms of the guys, not that I had some talented teams, but the guys really, it was a refusal to lose. It was a, it was a coming together when it mattered most. 
always. And there was a, there was, you know, sometimes there's an arrogance to not want to lose. And I've had that. The last time I've kind of had that was when I made it all the way to the state championship game. And it was like, they can be hard headed, but they were hard headed to the point where they didn't want to like, no, we're hard headed, not losing, you know, that's how hard headed we are. We're not going to lose. And that's kind of how it was. And so I felt really good. I was excited. I didn't even care what happened. I just knew that it was going to be a good showing and we had reached that goal. So all those guys can be at this, at the, on this platform where they can, they're on this platform where they can be showcased in front of all these college coaches. And that, that's what I was most excited for. That got a chance to experience one of the, they met, they, they were one goal away. So they finally reached the goal to get there. And the, the final goal was to win it all. But they were like one day, all these little mini goals we met, you know, we made it through the year. We, you know, we made all these mini goals. And finally, the, we checked the, that, that goal off of hopping on the bus. And now it was just going to win the whole thing. And, and, and it was, uh, it was disappointing, but I was, I was, I was confident we we're going, we were going to, we were going to do well. What's the latest on the basketball season coming up? Any word on it starting back up? Well, you know, very disappointed. I mean, we still get word that however conservative they're being with our teams and stuff, it's just really frustrating. They haven't allowed us back in the gym, which is very disappointing, especially for, you know, they got the high schools, they got universities, and and here we are. The community college, they haven't let us back in the gym. There's not enough voices at this level. At the high school level, you got the parents banging on the door. We want our kids back. We want our kids back. The universities, of course, they have television contracts and different things like that. It pushes them back. But here, there's no there's no voice, and other than us, and they're not listening to us. That we really need this for our kids. So I got Joe Hamptons that's been sitting around for a year. You know, Deshaun Hylers that have been sitting around for a year. KJ's who need academic help and all that that have been sitting around for a year, and you know our tax dollars have failed them. You know we've used our tax dollars to do I don't know what we've using them for. We've gotten funding. We've gotten emergency funding to help go back to school and to help facilitate safe return. And we haven't used those dollars. We've kind of set on them. So I'm disappointed. Wow. So there's no word of anything. There's the only word is that everybody still has concerns with returning. And to me, it's just an excuse to kind of sit at home and do nothing uh, and get paid a check to, to be at home. So we're under, you know, union rules and different things like that. So we got to abide by the, you know, the unions and the districts and these, you know, negotiations. But based on the L.A. County, based on all those and the guidelines, we, we can go back. But now we're at the mercy of, the, you know, these the districts or the unions coming to a negotiated agreement that it's safe to return and the faculty can return and all of the workers can return. And, you know, so... You know, then you have maintenance workers on campus. Their unions are saying they don't want students to return because it may not be safe. And then, you know, so whether that's right or wrong or who's to say, in my opinion, right now, kids are suffering and it's an excuse to not work as hard as we need to to get back. That's my opinion. Yeah, for sure. John, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. I know you've done a lot of these and and I hope none of it was repetitive. It's got to be annoying at some point. I get it. Um, but thank you so much for coming on, man. God bless you. God bless your family. And and I hope we keep yeah. in contact somewhere, somehow, because I'd love to meet you one day. No, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Man, I, I can't wait till junior college is open again just to watch him coach and to watch his players play. 
the cool part about John Mosley is that he's real, and I've come across that with I think all of my episodes now. I don't think I've gotten a fake person. This is the cool part about podcasts, I guess. Everybody's kind of just themselves, and they open up, and I'm forever grateful for that. But the other really amazing part, and the chances of running into a person like John Mosley are slim to none because he's doing none of this for monetary reasons. And I asked him a hard question, and the question was, how do you make ends meet? You've got a family. You've got a wife. You've got rent to pay or a mortgage. You know, living in California is not easy. How do you do it? And essentially his answer was he lives within his means. But the other question was Division One college. You have a chance to maybe coach a Division One college. Would you take that on? And I took that as a no. The chances of you getting into a Division One college and coaching, you're guaranteed six figures some seven figures but he'd be guaranteed six figures and he he wouldn't do it it didn't sound like he wanted to do it because what he truly loves is helping people rather than just winning games because if you're helping people and kids who are less fortunate you're going to win outside the basketball court and so I think the picture then just gets too big for him as a Division One because then it really comes down to kind of coaching because you're getting different kids now. It's a whole different aspect of kids. And when you get into the junior college kids, it's different than a Division One kid. And so I feel like he's doing God's work in terms of coaching kids at a junior college. So that's the super super cool part about all of that is that he's really truly doing this out of passion out of love and he's happy doing it he's happy changing lives but man we all know junior college there there's not much funds that come out of those schools and good for him good for him I, he, he is doing god's work so that's awesome that's it for me thank you so much for making me a part of your day again please if you can just Take a couple minutes out of your day and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Give a five-star rating. It helps us in terms of rankings. It helps other people find the podcast. And it makes us feel good. There's a lot of work that happens here. So uh, we would appreciate it. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. I am Mike Gabriel. Until next time, folks. No wasted days. Let's go. Let's go.